Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We are continuing. It is 9-19-2021. And we will continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and we'll start with the thought of the week. And the topic of this thought is synergy. The merging of our lives with Christ and the Spirit's integration with our spirit allows us to be the sons God wants to dwell with for the eternal state. May I say with Jesus, quote, Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate, unquote. And that's from Mark chapter 10, verse 9. We have taken much time to examine the relationship we have with Christ, we must also understand our relationship with the spirit. Quote, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. That, unquote, and that from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. What God the Holy Spirit brings to our lives is not human. It is divine. We now have divine capability because of the Spirit. Learning to work and live with our newfound aspect is related to spiritual growth. The more we grow, the more we develop the capacity for the Spirit to reveal His role in our lives. The synergy of it all is the Spirit and Christ both engaged to bring us to the Father. Once we are face-to-face with the Father, it will be just as he planned from eternity past. Quote, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, unquote. And that's from Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 21. The relationship shared by the person of Christ becomes our relationship. And the prayer for our final state, may they also be in us. And that is the thought of the week. And I'd like to just add a little commentary to that and start out with questions. Questions that I would apply to myself. Have you taken the time to examine your relationship with Christ? Have you started at the beginning by putting your faith and trust in Christ? Are you saved? Do you know that you are saved? Have you arrived at the rest for your soul, Christ facilitates? This is not to make you anxious about your standing with God. It is to make it easily accessible. Turn away from yourself. The power to save or provide growth and grace and truth comes from God through his spirit. It is not from anxiety or performance, but from the peace and joy that only Christ can give us. Allow Christ who is lowly and gentle in heart, to guide you through his spirit into salvation and then into all truth. It is not by our effort. It is God working so powerfully in us. Love him. And that's my commentary. And now we'll have Fred give us a prayer. At this time, um, we're uh, open for prayer requests. Anyone that has a request for special prayer. Okay, if there are no 
pray by our request. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, and grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you this morning. And thankful, Lord, for our church, which the word is truth, um, which you have continued to bless right up to this very moment. We're thankful, Lord, for the things that you have done through the word of truth, the things that we have not been able to imagine or see and the place where you have brought us and the place you are taking us, might we all who are members of this church go forward and do our part in furthering the message of this gospel, the message of salvation, examining ourselves and growing, continuing to grow in grace. At this time, we're praying, Lord, for any, anyone that's ill. Uh, I have a brother-in-law, Kenny, who's ill, asking for continued prayers for him and his family. For Dave's daughter, who has a continuing problem, Lord, that you continue to look in on her. We're thankful and grateful, Lord. Uh, there are many things going on in the world, but we have the mind of Christ. But might we all be continued to continue to focus on those things and continue to grow in grace and be transformed and be renewed in the renewal of our mind. All these things we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Fred, and thank you, Dwight. We appreciate that. We're continuing on in uh, our journey through John chapter 16. Today we're in John 16, 26 and 27, which reads, In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and, ha and have believed that I came from God. Uh, in your notes, you have these words, while the disciples had their struggles. And yes, their shortcomings were noted in the word of God. We should still understand their predicament. All of us reading the events that they had to navigate, we should know they were successful. They became the foundation of the church. We must still run the race and fight the good fight. We can take their example and know that life is tough, but we are more than equipped by God for the rigors of this world. And we are more than conquerors. As we continue to grow in the fullness and stature of Christ, we come to know the Father personally. Knowing the Father speaks of our identification with the Father, just as we are identified with Christ. It is just as Christ said, quote, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, unquote. That's John 14, 9. So we are continuing with this. Uh, actually, there are two verses here, John 16, 26 and 27. We'll try to get through the, some of these points on both these verses. We'll see how far we get. 
So let's dig in. Point number one is, in that day, you will ask in my name. So if you think about the when it, what it means by in that day, and I just wanted to make a point of that, because it's not talking about one specific day, or, or it's not talking about the fact that it is daytime as opposed to nighttime. It is talking figuratively, and this is Hemera, and this is usually uh, how it's found in Scripture, although you will find all those meanings when you see the word Hemera. And you have to clearly identify from the context what is being meant. But here's what is being meant. Figuratively, a period always defined more or less clearly by the context. And this all comes from Strong. I'm always harping on the context. But this is, this is not me. This is Strong. It could mean an age, always midday or by day or forever judgment day, a time while years uh, uh, could be mentioned. This is all part of the meanings uh, that you will find for Himera, uh, the Greek word, in scripture. So it, it is a popular uh, word because we're always talking about judgment day, you know, Jesus is talking about when the Spirit comes. And, and, and here he's characterizing that time as in that day. In, in other words, in that time period. Or point B, referring to the time of the new dispensation. There will be new dynamics and orientation for the believer in Christ. This, we, we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And we, we know that from um, that verse. But notice it says, old things have passed or no longer have any power. New things have come. So, so automatically there's new orientation with those new things, right? We, we have to know that, that there's going to be something new. Jesus is saying in that day, in other words, in that dispensation, when the new dispensation dawns and be, takes hold and we're, we're, where we are in Christ, then all of these new dynamics will be in operation. Pleasing God will be different. I like what Ephesians says, always be trying to find out what best pleases God. That's really our quest while we're here on earth. Christ said, I love the Father and do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Well, he has to know what the Father wants him to do, right? He can't just decide, well, I'll make it up as I go along. Or whatever I think the Father wants, I'll do it. No, he has to know from the Father what he wants. Same with us. We have to know what God wants us to do before we attempt to do it. It's important, right? So referring to that dispensation, we're going to get, it's going to be different. We should expect new. And you know, I know a lot of people don't like change. They want things to be like they always were. They are traditional in their thinking. This is, always, this is the way we've always done it, so why should we change it? If this way works for us, this is the way we've always operated, there's no need to change it. Well, God changed things. 
I didn't do it, he did it. And people are still stuck in the old. You're gonna find people who are there. <clears throat> but for us, we need to mark the fact that it is a change. And that goes to the next point. That day is marked in the context by the coming of the Spirit. Now, if you, I could go all the way from John 14 to 16, where we are, and talk about where Jesus has, has mentioned or made reference to this time. When he comes, when the Spirit comes, all of that. But I'm just going to read the ones that are in the immediate context. And this is in John 16, where we are, verse 7 and 8. Let's look at that, uh, 16, 7 and 8. It says, um, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, very, when he comes, he's talking about God, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So that new dispensation is going to bring new dynamics for the revelation of who is the Messiah. And we know all of that. You can't just say, well, I'm believing in Christ to come. No, Christ already came. You can't. I'm believing, and when Christ when Christ comes, I'm believing in Him. That's old. That's Old Testament. That won't fly anymore. Right now, you, you have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about any Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the one that was crucified under Pontius Pilate, the one who lived and walked this earth. You know and had a ministry, did signs, wonders, and miracles, demonstrated that he was a Messiah. When he died under Pontius Pilate, was buried in the tomb and raised to life and seen of many peoples. That's the one I'm talking about, that you have to put your faith in in order to have eternal life. So new dynamics along those lines, more so also, and if you look at verse 13, or 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, when he comes, <laughs> he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak in, on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. All of this, are these, these are the new dynamics that we have to expect with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's going to happen. It's gonna be new things happening. I know a lot of people, like I said, are not fixed. They don't like new. They like what's old. So, but you, and, and you don't have a choice here. <laughs> really, this is God's doing. And you, don't, you really don't have a choice. So it's marked by the coming of the Spirit. And hopefully you understand, in that day you will ask in my name. Now, you know, I didn't really focus a lot on the in my name part because we focused on that last week. We talked about all the different things that it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And with reference to uh, you are approaching God not based on who you are and, and your merit or your standing, but on 
who Christ is and what his standing is before God. When we say God, before the Father. That's how we can approach the Father, based on who Christ is. So literally, if we ask something and we're asking in his name, then literally it is as though Jesus himself is asking the Father something that is according to his will. Uh, it is literally like that. You're asking in the name of Christ. That's The Father sees the standing and position of Christ, and therefore, of course, he will answer prayer positively. So I didn't spend a lot of time on the, you will ask in my name, because that was all last week. We discussed that in great detail. We took a lot of time with that. In fact, we even, I think we, we covered that in good detail. And if we need to talk more about it, we certainly can. We certainly can. So, but I'm moving forward to point two. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So uh, in this phrase, Jesus is clarifying what it means to ask in my name. Uh, in other words, people might get the idea that if I ask in the name of Jesus, but then that means Jesus will um, take my request and ask the Father on my behalf. That's not the case. We're going to see what the differences are, and I'd say they are huge differences. So in the previous phrase, that's where, where he's coming from. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In other words, he's going to clarify what he means by saying, no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And we'll get to what further it says in, in point B. What does it mean that if we ask in Jesus' name that he in turn takes our request to the Father? It, what it does not mean, I'm sorry. So that's just the clarification. Point B is the clarification. It does not mean, and I already said it, so I'm sort of ahead of myself a little bit. It does not mean that Jesus will take our prayer request and take it to the Father. No, in the name of Christ is literally us asking the Father. It does not mean that Jesus is the intermediary between us and the Father. Or, you know, you know, I look at it like um, uh, when you try to talk to people who have high titles and they're officials. Uh, or if they're, a good example is if they're a CEO of a company. And you, you say, well, I want to talk to the CEO. You can try to, to call the CEO and talk to him. The chances are you're not going to get the CEO on the phone. Uh, that uh, these huge companies got layers. So, for instance, you might call and get, say, I got a question for the CEO of Microsoft or the CEO of Google, whatever you want to say, any of these large companies. You, you likely will, uh, your call will be managed by someone and they will take that and say, okay, is, is it important that this person, is it legitimate, this question? The CEO is not going to sort all that out. All these questions will be asked by people before you even get to the CEO. You'll be asked these questions. And then they'll say, well, um, 
let me refer you to uh, the office. Then you finally get to the office. The office then has layers. You could get to the chief of staff. A lot of CEOs have a chief of staff that manages all of these things. And you may never hear from the CEO, but the chief of staff may be able to address all of your concerns. You won't get to talk to him at all. The chief of staff operates on behalf of you to the CEO. And he will also operate on behalf of the CEO. It would be a liaison to the CEO. You never have to talk to the CEO. If you get your problem solved, the CEO can continue to be the CEO without ever talking to you. And then there's another layer. It's the C- If you do get past that and the person says, yeah, this person really needs to talk to the CEO. Let's get him in touch. So then you've got to get to the admin. And the admin will determine when you can talk to the CEO, the executive admin. So... There's layers. But when Jesus, what Jesus is telling you here is there are no layers when you pray to the Father. Your request goes from your lips to the Father's ears. Literally. That's who you are. That's the position that you have in Christ. So point C, our recommendation for prayer, we pray to the Father... This is how we pray. We pray to the Father and directly to the Father in the name of Jesus. We talked about what it meant to to pray in the name. That recognizes our position. That's not what that is, is a matter of humility on our part. We're not arrogant. We're not saying, because I'm Douglas Presley, this is why you should answer me. No, my name is not important. It's the name of Christ is I'm, I'm in Christ. So I'm recognizing that as a matter of humility of who I am and with respect to what position I hold. I'm in Christ. That's that's how I can talk to the Father. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. That means the filling of the Spirit, the motivation of the Spirit. Well, your prayer is has to be in conjunction, in concordance with all of that. It's not just even if you send up a prayer and you don't and you fail to mention that. Oh, I'm in Christ. That prayer didn't just bounce off the ceiling. God knows you're in Christ, but when we pray, He's asking us to have humility within ourselves, and even at the end of our prayer, to acknowledge that it is in Jesus' name that we pray. That's what he wants us to do. See, you, we start talking about this in Jesus' name. I can't get away from it. We're going to keep talking about it because it's important. It's, it's not only respect, but it is humility on our part. So that's how we... This is Jesus said we ought to pray to the Father in his name. And then we learn also that we have to pray in the power and the filling of the Spirit, which means his motivation. Right? We, we don't just pray from our sin nature or from our selfish needs of things that we want. That's not according to the Father's plan. The Holy Spirit is helping us and leading and guiding us into all truth. What is all truth? The Father's eternal purpose. That's his motivation. So if he's influencing you, then that is what 
your focus will be as well when you pray. And that's important for everybody to know that their prayer should facilitate or also recognize who we are on the battlefield and what we're doing down here and to facilitate and foster the Father's plan. That's, that's the goal. Why we're here. Point D. Um, with the introduction to the Father's plan, we are invited to speak directly to the one who planned all things, who chose us in him before the creation, and of whom we are told to ask, and we will, and uh, it should be, and we will receive. You will receive. That's what it says. Ask and you will receive. I think I, I wrote this incorrectly. You can correct it in your notes, please. But that's the thought, is that he recognized, who, who, when you say Father, when you say Heavenly Father, that is not just, you know, just some uh, statement. We're to, uh, addressing a person. But not just any person, but this is the person who planned all things. All things were created through the person of Christ. But the Father is the one who authorized or sanctioned that Jesus would be the creator of all things. The Father's plan dictates that Christ would be the creator of all things. But you could say, well, Christ is the creator of all things. Yes, he is. But the Father is the one who who planned, who arranged that things would go this way. This is his eternal purpose. And each one of the members of the Trinity are on board with it. It's not like they fight one another for who gets what. The father planned it. The son knew what his role was, and he came to execute it. And the spirit is doing his job as we speak. So this these... These things are important. But notice, when we pray, we don't pray to the God, the Holy Spirit. We're not praying to Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling us to pray to the Father. And we're going directly to the person who orchestrated, who architect all things. Who is the architect? Imagine, if you, you have a car, and you like the car, but you say, what does this button do? I don't know what this button does. I don't understand why we even have it here. What's the point, right? Now, there may be some people along the line who could tell you that. But the one who came up with the, the design, who is the architect of that car, is the one who could tell you best about what they were thinking when they put that button there in your car. And if you were able to talk directly to him about it, and you're using it. You can say, oh man, I never even knew that that was the way you, you, we were supposed. I've been doing that wrong. I've been, I've been compensating because I didn't know that. Now that I know that, I'm going to do, I'm going to use that button. Well, we have direct access, not just to somebody who made a car, but to somebody who designed all things. We can't even... We will be stopping short by saying a car, uh, 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 the land, the world, right? We have to just 
summarize all of that by saying all things were created through the Father's direction and plan. All things. It was according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. That's what we have to say. That's who we are addressing. Make sure you don't fall short of understanding of who you're talking to when you lift the Father's name in prayer. When you address him, just know you're speaking to him directly. And he's not just somebody. But guess what? Look at the access, the level of access that we have to the Father. It's amazing when I think about it. And and that's point E. Because we stand in Jesus positionally, we have access. And this is a quote in Ephesians 2.18. We have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, obviously, by one spirit, but because the spirit baptized us into Christ, right? That's the position we have. We don't just have the position of the spirit because the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. He's, he can search the mind of Christ, which is where all the father's treasures of wisdom and knowledge have been deposited. But we have access, right? No way that we are stopped at the door and said, well, where's your access? And somebody says, no, you can't go beyond this this place, this security level here. You can't go in there. No, we have directly, we can have access to the Father. You know why? Because we're family. The only analogy you can think about. I don't care what levels of security the CEO might have. I bet you if his daughter or son came running up there, they would walk right through all those levels of security and right into the Father's lap. No, no, what are you doing here? Why do you need to come here? No, because of who you are as a son. Uh, This is another analogy, but just the thought of it, it gets you past all the levels of security and it is a different relationship completely. And whatever you ask of the father, you get to ask him directly. You don't have to ask some hireling. You get it directly from the father. So we stand there. I I hope you see this as a privilege, an invitation to you to come and to take part in something that is bigger than we could ever think about for ourselves. This, This is the highest goal. This is the highest opportunity and privilege that we could have on this earth is to have direct access to the Father. And it's amazing. Point number three, we're moving forward in our notes. So, so it goes like this. I am not saying that, we, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And point number three is no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. We're, we're, we're going to dig into this phrase a little bit. And the first thought is where he says the negative. No, <laughs> it's not Jesus going to... Uh, ask the Father in, in our stead that he, we have to work through Jesus to get to the Father. And a lot of people think it, you know, it's that way. When it comes to some things, it is. We should know. Like, in order to be saved, you have to believe in Jesus. 
if you want to understand what it means to get to the third heaven and where Christ is preparing that place for us, Jesus says, uh, you, you know the place to where I am going. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. So getting, having access to those echelons of, uh, you know, those important spaces where they're exclusive, you can't get there. That's, you don't belong there unless you can come through Jesus Christ. That, that is the case. I mean, nobody can, can be saved unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that earlier. And not just anybody who says they're Christ, but that particular one. You, before you get to the Father, you got to go through Christ. There's no doubt about it. But when it comes to this, notice the privilege. He says, no, no, I'm not telling you that I'm in between you and the Father when it comes to prayer, when it comes to your petitions to God. When you speak, when you open your mouth, you should know the Father hears what you're saying. The Father hears what you're saying. The one who created all things and you know, authorized that the world would be, the universe be, and all of that. The Father is the one who planned all that. He's the architect of all of that. So in this, this next one where he says, no, He's saying the Father himself loves you. In other words, you are somebody that the Father recognizes. He, he loves you. We're going to talk about the love in a second, but just know it's not like the, the, a child running up to the Father and, and then the Father says, who are you? And why are you here? He would never say that. That's not even the thought. So this next thought is the Father himself loves you, right? This is, this is why it's not like that, that you are stopped at the gate and can't get in because the Father himself, notice himself, notice the emphasis on the person of the Father's attitude toward you. The Father himself loves you. So I asked the question, why does the Father love them? And he's talking, obviously, to the disciples, but by extension, you should know, he's talking to us, too. Father loves us. And, and then he gives an answer to it. I have to give the answer he gives because that's, that's it. Because they love Jesus. And anyone, this is, this is what Jesus is saying, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's in John 14, 9. So if the disciples were following Jesus and determined to be committed and devoted and, you know, Jesus and his mission, then clearly they loved him. That was their response to Jesus choosing them. Jesus chose them. How do they respond? Well, they responded with love. They, they did. That's how you have to begin to see this. So with the, back to point B, though, the Father himself loves you. Why does the Father love them? Because they love Jesus. Jesus is fulfilling the Father's eternal purpose. Now, they didn't know that. They had to learn that, that that was what Jesus was doing. 
and they did. And Jesus taught them this to show his relationship with the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, it's just like that. <clears throat> so, so point C, we'll talk about the love point of it all. And love speaks of their motivation toward Jesus. When he says, because you would love me, Jesus is saying, you're devoted to me, but you just don't know, but you're really devoted to the Father. Even though you're devoted to me and you're committed to me and what I tell you, you're following me. Really, you're devoted to the Father. Because everything I'm about is the Father, Jesus is saying. Even the words I speak are the Father's words. Even how I tell you is how the Father wants you to know this information. Everything that without knowing it, the disciples were following the Father and the Father's plan. They, they had to scratch their head a lot of times. I'm not saying they were perfectly following because they didn't know a lot of things. And there were, a lot of things were new to them and they were very reticent to learn them. But they were still committed to Jesus. He keeps talking about this father thing. Who is this father that you keep talking about? Can you just tell us, please? Show him the, show us the father. So so but it point C is is this is what they said in Matthew 19. And I'm going to turn to Matthew 19:27 just to illustrate this in point C. Um, hang on. So in Matthew, let me go a little slow here today. Matthew 19, you should know the story comes from the one we call the rich young ruler. And I don't want to go over the whole story for the sake of time, but hopefully you know it. If you don't, you have to go back and read it. But he asked, could he follow Jesus? What, what did he need, right? He says, well, well I'll even say... Teacher, what good thing must I do, this is verse 16, to get eternal life? And it goes, Jesus tells him what to do and so forth. And finally he tells the man, uh, sell everything that you have and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And then if you go continue, the disciples are looking at this whole thing. right? And they said, well, verse 25, is that, well, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? If that's what it requires. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter answered him and said, we have, this is what he said, literally. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now just, even before you read any other verses, the point that I'm making here is in verse 27. Notice the commitment the devotion that these men had for Jesus. It's a, we've left every, we even left our wives. We left our businesses, our livelihoods. We left everything to, to, to devote our lives to you. Whatever you say, wherever you say go, whatever you say do, we will do, we will go. We've done the very thing that Jesus, what Jesus asked of the rich man the disciples did. They were, they were doing. And they had given even more 
the rich man couldn't even part with the luxuries of his life in order to have the richness of eternal life and all the treasures and knowledge. That rich young ruler would have been in the church age, most likely. If he had done what Christ said, maybe there would have been a 13th disciple. I'm just saying what could have been, but but no. But that's the point here in, in point C. They left everything. This is what love is. This is how love is expressed. This is how we respond to the call of God. Now, you could, you could respond, first of all, you have to accept it. But then you come to love it because you have to be a part of it. You have to be, this is a part of your, your destiny. You come to love it, meaning... You want this for yourself. You yearn to do the Father's will. That's how we respond to it. Okay, so, so point D, then. What does D say? For us to love the Father and, and the Son, it speaks of motivation and devotion. This is just a summary of this. For the Father to love us speaks of motivation to choose and include us in the eternal purpose. So just notice that. When it says that uh, Christ is saying, praying to the Father, you love me before the creation of the world. He's saying that this is the plan you chose for me before time began. You love me. You, you put me in this position as a part of your eternal purpose. Later, you will see later in John 17, once we get there, that that is also a part of what we have. And that love that you have given me, I have given them, Christ said. Why? Because they're a part of who I am. We are a part of Christ. So whatever is true of him is true of us. If Christ was chosen for the execution of the eternal purpose of the Father, we are chosen because we are in him. We are an extension of who he is. Without him, there is no us. Without us, there is no him from, this, from what the Father's eternal purpose is. And just like I said, what God has joined together, he has joined us to the person of Christ. Let not man separate or put asunder, as they say. Let not man, let no one separate. So that's how the love of the Father, for us to love the Father and the Son, it speaks of the motivation and devotion, the commitment to the Father's plan, to the Father's motivation. But for the Father to love us, it speaks of the motivation to choose us and include us in the eternal purpose, predestined us. He adopted us to sonship. All those words come into play. And all those words are words that have happened before time began. The only way you can know the motivations of God are in this age. And they haven't been revealed before, but now they are. And that's why it says that we know things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. Because how would you know the thoughts of God? How God planned it all? What, were her, what was the outcomes that he was looking for? What are the intentions of his heart? You wouldn't know those things. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but it is now. 
And guess what? It's revealed to us and we're a part of it. An integral part of it. Let's continue. Time is getting away from us here. Points. That was point D. Point E, because you have loved me. Because you have loved me. And this is no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. Because you have loved me before they came to know the Father. For, before they were born. Before Israel. Before time began. He chose them before creation, before the creation of the world. Now, just so we know that there's a reciprocal relationship here, the father chose them. That meant he loved them because he specially chose them. And then um, how do we reciprocate is we show that we have accepted the call. We understand the call and we love the call. We're devoted and committed to it. So John 17, 6 through nine helps us to understand that thought. John 17, six through nine. Let's look at these verses carefully. Verse six, I have revealed you, Jesus is talking to the Father now. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Wait. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus did not just pick random people to be the disciples. It wasn't up to Jesus who he picked to be the disciples. This verse says that. I mean, just reading this verse, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. There's so much in that verse to know. Right? Just this is not Jesus's prayer to to God. Uh, you know, this is his prayer to the Father about us. And when he say us, I'm linking ourselves to the disciples because really he's just talking about the disciples here. In verse seven, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Wow! Now they know. That everything you have given me and everything I'm about, Christ is saying, is because of you, Father. You have given me everything I have so that they now understand who you are. It's not that we're looking past Christ, but we're focusing now on the Father's plan. That's what we're doing. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They didn't turn away. There's a lot of them that did turn away. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Notice who, Jesus is praying to the Father, but he's not, he, he's praying like, you know, he's not, he's, he, he's, he's praying with understanding about his role in the Father's eternal purpose. That's what we can say. He's praying with the understanding. Even though he's Lord, it is God the Father who has made him Lord. It is to the, like it says in Philippians 2, it is to the glory of God the Father that Christ is raised to this position. Of, uh, he's given a name and it is above every name and at the name of Jesus, every name knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. That's Philippians 2. And then verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Now we could pray for, generally speaking, I, mean, I pray for things in the world. I can pray for lost. I can pray for people who are caught in the devil's snare and their understanding. I could pray for a lot of things. But Jesus is saying, I'm praying not for any of those things. I'm praying specifically for people who are in this, who were chosen before the time began. He's talking directly to the Father about those who are chosen to participate in his eternal purpose. So th these are critical verses. We'll get there. <laughs> this is part of our study, John 17. We'll get there. But back to 16 in our notes. Let's continue the thought. And then there's Ephesians 1.4, which we know. You probably can quote it off the top of your head. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Right? It's just because you have loved me. Before they came to know the Father, he chose them um, and but so it says, notice all that had to happen before you could develop that love for the Father. It took a lot, right? It took what the Father did, all that He chose. It took some time. It took before God revealed this uh, new age. God had to select you to be born in this age. Then uh, you had to come to the knowledge of who Christ is and about salvation, your bad news, good news. And then you believed in Christ and then you realized as you were baptized into Christ, that this was part of your destiny, that your, your inheritance, all of those things. Then you came to love it. Point number four in our notes. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And point number four is, and have believed that I came from God. We'll quickly uh, talk about these three things. They understand that Jesus was the Christ, and this is the reason they followed him. This, they understood that. They believed that I came from God, is what Jesus is saying. So this is what Simon Peter answered. This is in Matthew 16, 16. He said, you are the Messiah, son of the, the son of the living God. That's literally what Peter said. I mean, that was the answer that beats all the other answers. You are John the Baptist. You are a prophet. You are, who are you exactly? What are people saying? What do you say? Jesus said, and this is what, and Christ also said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Imagine that the Father acknowledged that Peter said that. Why? Because it was, just think, don't think the Father stands apart from all of this. He's right in it, in the middle of it. He's the one. He, in fact, he's the one that is sent. Christ says, I'm not here on my own. I, I'm here because the Father sent me. It's the Father's will that Christ be the Savior of the world. It's all according to the Father's eternal purpose, his plan. So notice Peter is right on target. And how did he get that information specifically? The Father is how he got it. That's, that's good to note because 
what, what we know as those who are lost and dead in our transgressions and sins, not one of us is righteous, not even one. None of us understands. None of us does any good. So any intervention or difference from those standards, God had to show us. God, the Holy Spirit, had to reveal to us. Point B, John wrote his gospel for this very reason. And here's the quote of it. You don't have to turn to John 20, 30 through 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an excellent end to some of the things that John had written in his book to talk about why he wrote his book. What is the direction of how we are to see the gospel of John? But John said, look, I'm telling you this. I know it. I'm a witness. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've witnessed it. You can trust me. I'm telling you the truth. I don't have no, I'm, I'm telling you what happened. And you can evaluate this for yourself, but we have a witness in, the, in John. And he's literally being directed by God to write what he wrote so that we can see that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. And point number C, and here's the far thing to, to, to write, but sure it is, even Nicodemus understood that Jesus came from God and he was an unbeliever. How do we know Nicodemus was an unbeliever? Because Jesus told him, you must be born again. <laughs> I don't want to talk about all the things you want to talk about, but I can tell you this. The first thing you need to, to focus on Nicodemus is you need to be born again. And sure enough, what did Nicodemus said? Oh, well, you know, I believe in the Mosaic law and I'm, I'm you know. No, you know what he said? How is it that I'm going to be born again? You mean I got to go in my mother's womb and come out again? Is that what you're talking about? No, Nicodemus. No, Nicodemus. I can imagine Christ with his hand on his forehead. No, Nicodemus. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he goes on and tell him more. But yeah, even an unbeliever understood that. What did Nicodemus say? He says, no man can do the things. No one. He said, no one can do the things you do except that God is with him. Nicodemus recognized that. Even from where he stood. And those miracle signs and wonders were supposed to do exactly that for Nicodemus. Because what did John say? I'm writing these things that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. These things are written that you may know that Jesus is Christ, Son of God, but by believing you will have life in his name. But all the many things that Jesus did, well, John chronicled them, and, but Nicodemus saw them. And what was Nicodemus led to think? Well, God's got to be with this person. God has got to be. I better listen. I better get a meeting with him. And sure enough, he did. And that is literally what we all want for every 
body and our family to come to Jesus and to have eternal life. And it's simply by believing in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, you may have life in his, his name. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Scripture is very clear. He that believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son stands condemned already, and the wrath of God remains on them. So all you have to do is put your trust, the matter of your soul salvation, on the shoulders of Christ. And the scripture is very clear. You will have, possess now, eternal life. You will not be judged. You will not be condemned. You have crossed over from death to life. Let's bow our heads as we close as we'll continue this conversation next week. Father, thank you for the time that we've had this, this day. And we, we, we pray that as we continue to grapple with the words of Christ, that we will bring more understanding, more information to our spirits so that we can come to know you better. We thank you for those who have listened and participated. We pray that we will continue to meet in this fashion next week uh, and, and continue to learn more about your word and this church. It's in his name, in Christ's name, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.